Hello listeners everywhere! Welcome to the Archive of Audio Antiquities, a voyage into the vault of wonders on the wireless. In a moment, Simon Exton and Ken Moss will be here to speak to you. Hello and welcome back to the Archive of Audio Antiquities. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And this time we're listening to the Big Finish Doctor Who story, Daughter of the Gods. It's making a noise. That must mean there's another time machine out there. It's another police box. Uh, hold on, everybody. Uh, hold tight, my dear. Grab hold of the ship. What is happening? But it can't be. Doctor? Doctor, what's wrong? I'm going to be your pilot, apparently. My name is... Stephen Taylor. My name is Katerina. Doctor, she still thinks she's dead. Our enemies are upon us. You must leave the planet before it is too late. This is the Chancellor of the planet Urbinia. What is your purpose? Extermination! Daleks! People of Urbinia, listen to me. This is the Doctor. The Doctor? Of course. Can't I remember? This is one of the Doctor Who early adventures, which are sort of half full cast and half companion chronicles. Simon, what's the premise on this? The overarching premise is that Big Finish wanted to recast Katerina, frankly, so that they can territory mark another little bit of Doctor Who territory with a massive, massive crowbar. We start off with the second Doctor, Jamie and Zoe, searching through the TARDIS, finding a cupboard and finding some random bit of crap that uh, should be in the console, but isn't. It's a sort of collision indicator for the time vortex that they haven't needed before or since. But Zoe's is insistent this is probably incredibly useful, so she decides that she's going to go and install this on the TARDIS console, and the Doctor says, yeah, off you go, I'm going to sit here and play toy trains or whatever. So she goes and installs it and finds another TARDIS in the vortex that looks as though it's coming towards us, and she panics and pulls every button on the console and ends up crashing the two TARDISes. Both TARDISes end up landing on a planet whose name I forget. You've listened to this more recently than I have. What's it called? Uh... Okay, the name of a planet that is so generic, we can't even remember the name of it, with a different name for the capital city, which again is so bland, it's forgettable. Action starts off with Second Doctor, Jamie and Zoe turning up and getting involved in a mass panicked evacuation in which Jamie gets separated from the other two. They're pulled away with the crowd towards the spaceport. Jamie runs off to try and find help, ends up getting fairly ineffectively mugged in an alley by a couple of looters and meets up with a young girl who turns out to be Katerina find out that the first Doctor Stephen and Katerina immediately after leaving Troy have ended up in whatever the hell this planet's called a few months previously and have established themselves there. Stephen's working at the spaceport. The Doctor is establishing himself as a sort of intellectual, occasional lecturer at the university and aged party animal. Katerina's just wandering around, not really knowing what the fuck's going on. 
And then the Daleks invade. Zoe and Stephen end up at the spaceport trying to defend people who are trying to evacuate against the Daleks that are invading. Katerina and Jamie team up. Two doctors meet, confront the Daleks. The second doctor tells the first doctor that the first landing that they have after leaving Troy is the last one that Katerina does, and she's killed very soon afterwards. There's a big showdown with the Daleks at the spaceport where Zoe and Stephen are able to destroy a whole load of them. Oh, using puddles of petrol and things and space fuel and... Yeah, the doctors realise that neither of them should have been there. The Daleks shouldn't have been there. And the way to resolve it is for their original time tracks to go back to the way that they were. But the First Doctor now knows that this will kill Katerina, who he's become very fond of. So he doesn't want to do that. So the Second Doctor takes Katerina to one side, explains what is going to happen, and it becomes her decision that they leave the planet and go back on their original track, knowing that they're going to forget everything that's happened, but also knowing that that decision is leading to her death. The end. Yeah, it's a four-part story. I heard this you lent it to me ages ago, and mm. I've re-listened to it in preparation for this. Second time around, it was a lot more satisfying. I can't decide whether I'd missed bits first time around, or whether I was just suffering from that big finish burnout, because they're released so often. You listen to story after story after story, and you sort of stop taking them in after a while. I mean, I did listen to it again recently for the second time and got more out of it. I don't suffer from Big Finish burnout because I'm very, very, very selective about what stuff I get from Big Finish because it really massively has to appeal to me for me to spend money on it because they put out so much stuff and so much dross. The premise of the story is a massive crowbar so that Big Finish can use about the, the only companion that seems pretty much impossible to use. I remember asking you at the time, how big a crowbar have they used to get in a Katarina story? Because this takes place in an alternate timeline, they get away with it. But even with the confines of what they've made for the self, in the interviews afterwards, they even admit that this is very much a one-time-only deal. They just can't do it again. There's no way of bringing Katarina back, even within Big Finish. They just can't do it. This is probably the biggest crowbar they've used so far. Having said that, I've not listened to any of the master stuff with Eric Roberts, so game on. And don't do them down. I mean, they... they... They are the masters of the crowbar. Have you ever listened to Zagreus? Um, I like what they did with Zagreus. I'm not necessarily saying that I liked Zagreus. It was an attempt to do something different. My biggest problem with Zagreus, actually, is they used John Pertwee and made him inaudible. That's my biggest beef with Zagreus. My biggest beef with Zagreus is it's shit. At the end of the day, big finish, we like stories, then produce good ones. And I've always said when they get it right, they really, really get it right and you end up with something absolutely magical. But it's the needle in the haystack. The more incidental stuff they put out, the more difficult it is to find that needle because there's some stuff in the incidentals that is absolutely phenomenal. Master of Callus is one of the best things they've ever done. But you have to glomp through all the rest of the crap they put out to find it. Is that one of the Warmaster things? Yes, the first series of Warmaster is Master of Callus. That is phenomenal. Anyway, we're not giving me another opportunity to rant about... (laughs) 
big finishes monumental bankrupting output because you know how much money must it cost every month to get everything that big finish put out and there are people that do it i mean they'd probably have to sell their children for it but well we are getting to the stage i've put a moratorium on buying anything that's a spin-off and they're now dropping in doctors into spin-offs to try to get you to buy them there's just got to come a point where I say, no, I am not buying the spin-offs, even if one of the Doctors is in them. I've not bought any of the River Song stuff, any of the Torchwood stuff. I know David Tennant's now appeared in that. Oh, I say, I actually kind of like their Torchwood stuff because Torchwood itself was rarely great, but it was generally watchable. It was patchy. It never really found its feet. That's talking about Torchwood first two seasons. Yeah. Once it got to Children of Earth, still one of the best pieces of television ever. Absolutely, and... Should have been ended there. Miracle Day should never really have happened. If Miracle Day had taken five episodes rather than ten, that may be a different story. Although it was still a, we need to crowbar in an American Jack Harkness because if we sell this to America, they will never accept John Barrowman. That was the top and bottom of that. But there were some very good bits in it. It was incredibly slow and tedious. And if they'd cut the length by half, you could have got something very good because there were some great bits in it. We're segueing. We may occasionally segue. It's sort of our thing. So back to Doors of the Gods. Bear in mind, there's not many of the principal cast left. Uh, no. Adrian Hill as Katarina is gone. Patrick Trout and William Hartnell, gone. They've got back Peter Purvis as Stephen Taylor and the Doctor. Wendy Padbury as Zoe and Fraser Hines as Jamie McCrimmon and the second Doctor. And that's a bit of a shame, yeah. to be honest, because when you have both portrayals side by side, it makes it obvious just how good Fraser Hines' version of Troughton is. And by comparison, how average Peter Purvis's version of Hartnell is. Yeah, I do feel very, very bad saying that because it's Peter sodding Purvis. And it's, it's a- only by comparison. If you listen to the Peter Purvis solo stuff, he is Hartnell. It's only until you hear him against Fraser Hines, who is Troughton 200% compared to Purvis's 100% Hartnell, that you realise, actually, yeah, you can hear Purvis's voice under this. And it's a real shame because he does do a great job. He just doesn't do the fantastic job that Fraser Hines does. It's comparing superlatives, but one of them's a better superlative. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I keep coming back to with these First Doctor stories that they do, I don't know what the reasoning is. It's never been addressed head-on in any of the interviews. John Guiler is out there as a pretty spot-on Hartnell impersonator. He's even done it for the television series, Why they've not got him for Big Finish, I really don't know, because it would give such a dimension to the Companion Chronicles, the early adventures. You could do so much if you had a proper Hartnell impersonator, but neither William Russell nor Peter Purvis. It's an approximation, but it's certainly not an impression. Yeah, and I do think Peter Purvis's is better than William Russell's. Yes. It's only by comparison to Fraser Hines that he falls short. And unfortunately, having heard that comparison, you now can't go back to the Peter Purvis on its own. I've tried it and you can't. Thanks for wrecking that big finish. A little bit of an own goal. Right. So shall we carry on with the story? What I was going to say is that it does a really nice job of feeling like a 60s Who story in that there are a fairly small number of sets. There are a fairly small number of characters 
it's a large-scale story painted on a small scale. I've got to agree with that, and certainly where the sound design's concerned. I mean, yeah, all right, there are some big scenes at the spaceport and what have you, but the incidental music, it's very reminiscent of the background noises and soundscape of Dalek's master plan. The Dalek guns are the 60s Dalek guns and the 60s Dalek voices. There's nothing modern about any of it. And it's very easy to listen to the audio in black and white. Yeah. And soundscape and the image it brings across and actually the style of the story is very mid-60s who. Like I say, apart yeah. from the the lacklustre Hartnell impression... God, I hate myself for saying that, but it is unfortunately true. This really is a very good... I think they've pegged it as a sort of fifth anniversary story, had they done it in 1968. And by their own admission, they never would have done something this continuity heavy, trying to link it into Dalek's master plan. But you can sort of see it, that if they had done it, there'd be this sort of pompous friction between the first and second Doctors. Which never really comes across. Oh, I don't know. The first Doctor's got the upper hand the whole way through. Mm. He's just liberally dishing out bollockings. The problem is we've seen that interaction done properly in The Three Doctors, and people doing impersonations of The Two Doctors doesn't carry it by comparison. True, yeah. And no matter how good an impersonation of Troughton, Fraser Hines does, it's an impersonation. It's never going to stack up against the real thing completely different actor but Troughton against Herndl in The Five Doctors blew this out of the water yeah well, Patrick Troughton's going to blow anything out of the water isn't he alas and Richard Herndl I mean okay he wasn't Hartnell but he put in a blinding performance anyway we're not talking about The Five Doctors we're back to talking about this and it kind of tells you what we're thinking about the story when we're spending most of our time talking about other Doctor Who which Really, in this particular case, is damning it a little bit because I've I listened to the whole thing in one go, which I don't normally do with something that long. I mean, it's well over two hours long. Only if you listen to the extras. Uh, life is too short for me to listen to Big Finish extras. <laughs> well, generally speaking, I listen to Big Finish either while driving or in the kitchen. There's uh, certain ones that I make the exception for where I, I make an event of it and um, sit down and listen. And those are the two circumstances under which I listen to Big Finish. And when it comes to the producer, director, writer, circle jerk that always comes at the end, I will pull the car over and change to something that I'm actually going to be entertained by because otherwise I'll just want to throw my MP3 player through the window. I don't really do extras on anything and certainly not on fanfic. I will let it ride yet again. But well actually no, let's not. Let's let's have a chat about fanfic and big finish. And particularly as regards Katerina. Oh yes, because you have so, mentioned this in passing before. What is it about big finish that makes it not fanfic other than they have put out a vast fuckton of wank fodder. Well, apart from the fact that it's officially licensed and referenced in... I am so glad you said that. I am so... I was really hoping you'd say that. And referenced in the TV series. Which it isn't. Oh, no. Certain characters are referenced in the TV series. That does not leave a great big galumping plane for the for Big Finish to splatter themselves across. So we will withdraw that bit because I have no problem with certain characters becoming canon. That does not mean 
that the entire Big Finish Jizz Fest becomes canon. Okay, okay, proceed. Yes. When it comes to officially licensed BBC, prior to anything from Big Finish, there was a little thing called Missing Pieces. And Missing Pieces was a charity anthology, back when we used to do those, that was actually, to be fair, it was being set up at about the same time that Big Finish was. And it was a couple of years in the making, and it was released in 2001. So being set up around about the same time as Big Finish. Introduction by Peter Davison, stories written by Colin Baker and Wendy Padbury. Very ambitious, featured every companion up until that point, including the comic book companions, including all of the companions from the books, and was officially licensed by the BBC, predating pretty much everything that Big Finish did. And because it included every companion that had been done, there was First Doctor Stephen and Katerina's story. It was called Eurydice's Reprieve. It was written by Greg Gick. It actually is a really good story and craps on this from a massive height. But what makes Big Finish's version canon and the Missing Pieces version, which predated it and was licensed by the BBC not canon i can't answer that because there have been uh there have been other things which are you know bbc books that have been contradicted by big finish and conversely a big finish that's been contradicted by bbc books so i don't I know i can answer it it's because it's all fanfic and the only canon thing is what turns up on the telly that's the answer you sort of negated missing pieces there as well yes oh was it, right okay yep Fine. Yeah, it is all fanfic. And I wrote one of the stories in Missing Pieces. I wrote their Sarah Kingdom story, predated any of the big finished stuff. It is all fanfic. I'm not saying my Sarah Kingdom version is better than the big finish one. What I'm saying is that it's all fanfic. And just because Big Finish have put out enough fanfic to fill a warehouse doesn't make it anything other than a warehouse full of fanfic. Uh, I mean, lots of it has been broadcast on Radio 4. Does that not sort of make it broadcast material as well? Nope, TV. (laughs) Oh, fair enough. Uh, I will accept your logic. I don't necessarily accept that they're not canon, but uh, it's a decent argument for it. Got to give you that. If you're not accepting it, would you like to try arguing against it? Uh, Well, no, because there's nothing that I can... Canonist is one of those. I don't like your idea. Canonist is one of those things where, when you're talking about cross media, it's a very personal thing. There's any number of arguments where you can slot everything into one glorious hole. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, With any amount of lube and a crowbar Uh, big enough. Yeah, I, I know lads like that. And people have attempted to do it, and they've sort of got away with it, actually. Have they, uh, bollocks? Well, Stephen Moffat gives the whole wibbly-wobbly-timey-wimey thing, which sort of gets away with everything now. Not sure I agree, but there we go. It doesn't get away with anything. It is a wave of the hand, I can't be asked to come up with an actual explanation for this, so it, I will give you a catchphrase. Don't talk about the timeless children like that. Every It's getting wearisome now. Uh, that's not the way I talk about the timeless children. <laughs> I am intrigued, though, now. Can you remember by my the- argument, <laughs> the timeless children is canon. That, I think that's probably why I'm so annoyed at it. But, but, trying to... Doesn't stop it, it being shite, but it is shite that's canon. It's the very worst episode of Doctor Who in any medium, canon, fanfic, or otherwise. But... 
desperately with my fingernails trying to drag this back to Katarina. Can you remember the gist of the story in Missing Pieces and how they fit it in? Because no. it's quite... When I was prepping for this, I, I, I know somewhere in this house I have a copy of Missing Pieces because I have my contributor's copy. And no, I can't. And I know that I've read it and I, know I thought it was brilliant which I didn't think about Daughter of the Gods. And I will search it out and I will read it, what the story is and why it's so much better. We have gone very much round the houses on the whole Katarina thing without really discussing Daughter of the Gods. It's time to rate this in earworms. This is the song that never ends it goes on and on, my friends I mean, we kind of have discussed Daughter of the Gods because we've said that it fits in nicely with the whole 60s story style. All of the performances are great. Performances are generally good in Big Finish stuff. Sound design is generally good in Big Finish stuff. Direction's generally good in Big Finish stuff. It's the writing that falls apart. And I'm afraid that's, again, the criticism of this. It's a very 60s style story, but it's a pretty unimaginative story. Well, it's sort of prequel, sequel, side equal to Dalek's Master Plan. And I've got to say, much as I enjoyed it, there's very little about it that's original or... Yeah, I mean, there's there's massive chunks of Day of the Daleks in this. There's massive chunks of padding in this, which I only realised today when I couldn't in my head. I got to the end of episode four and thought, what actually happened in episodes two to four? But but to be fair, that's a very 60s-style story. Well, it is, but because I wasn't actually bored by it and because I couldn't pin my finger on what the problem was, I thought, well, it's done its job. It's entertained me for two hours or whatever it is. Therefore, I can't really criticise it. Am I blown away by it? No. Am I particularly impressed by it? No, if I'm honest. Is it bad? No. I'm going to go middle of the road on this. It's sort of... We're sort of six earworm territory, which sounds like I'm damning that, but it's an enjoyable listen. It will pass the time, but you you won't be clamouring to go back to it as a classic. I think the problem with rating this is that you're rating it as a big finish story, so you tend to rate it against big finish stories. Now, for all I stand by the they are fanfic, they are professionally produced fanfic and you expect something decent. If we were purely rating this as a big finish story, it would probably be worth a six. But I'm not. I'm rating this as an audio drama up against audio dramas like Cabin Pressure or ah, Ectoplasm. Right. So this isn't a, is this six out of ten as a big finish? It is this six out of ten as an audio drama. And it isn't, it's four. And it only just scrapes a four. No, fuck it, it's a three. Oh, that's very harsh. I was bored by massive chunks of this. It's a three. You see, I've got to say, I wasn't bored by this. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've listened to better, but I wasn't bored. And that is basically what I demand of anything that I listen to. If I'm bored by it, that's a different kettle of fish. You've paid money for something to entertain you. Now, it might not entertain you off the rooftops, but if you're not tapping your watch all the way through it thinking, get on with it. And I've got to be honest, I wasn't with this. I I'm wasn't all the way it. through it, but there were, there were big chunks of it where I was, I was bored. I have to say, the actress who played Katerina did a far, far better job of it than... The, Adrian Hill. Yes, she did. ...than the Adrian Hill portrayal we see in the one surviving episode. And it may be that she was ill or hungover or whatever, but that single surviving episode, 
she doesn't do a good job. Whereas the actress, I can't remember the young lady. Ajaza was. Okay. She does a fantastic job of playing a very dull character. So as a final note, would we recommend the boys and girls go and listen to it just as a bit of curio or not? I would. No, no you would have to be an absolute died-in-the-wall Anorak fan to want to listen to this. That's a fair appraisal. Yeah, I'll go with that. Boys and girls, there is a vast, vast archive of good audio drama out there. This isn't it. Before we sign off, it's time to recommend something else to listen to. It's Podcast of the Week. Simon, what have we got for tonight? Tonight, we have a podcast that not only is entirely appropriate, but also is fantastic listening. It is the Doctor Who Missing Episodes podcast. Ah, yes. Unbelievably well-researched. Fantastic guests who are involved in the active search for missing episodes. So people like John Prattle. Incredibly detailed critique and missing episode critique of the 60s stories. I think each one is about two hours and it's two unbelievably interesting two hours. So the recommendation for this episode is go and have a listen to the Doctor Who Missing Episodes podcast. You will not be disappointed. Got to say, the Daleks Master Plan one was superb. It's a big favourite of mine anyway. Really enjoyed that from beginning to end. It's very rare that I look at something that's two hours long and think, oh, yeah, I really love that. Oh, you listened to one of theirs? Oh, yeah, I listened to the Daleks Master Plan one. I was blown away. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. They are all fantastic. Wait until you hear the Marco Polo. Two hours is way too long, on the whole, for me, for a podcast. Feedback I hear from a lot of people on on various things podcast-wise, actually, is less is more. So usually, two hours will be a bit of a daunting, nah, don't think I will. With this, it's well worth your time. So on that note, we shall sign off. Next time, we will be back as we look at the first series of Round the Horn. Oh, fantastic. Got to say, I'm quite looking um, forward to that one. It's pushing 60 years old. I love Round the Horn. We should be back to gush about that. No, I'm, we're not going down this rabbit hole. Let's not spoil it for ourselves. I will. I've no idea what your opinions are on it because we've never discussed it. I'm not even sure you've ever heard it. <laughs> All will be revealed next month. And on that note, boys and girls, thank you for listening to us. We shall be back soon. Take care. Happy listening. Goodbye now. archive of audio antiquities featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, and the announcer was Jenny at Blue Box 99. All featured soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. Title music was by Edward White, and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.